Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, this is Byron Johnson. Byron and I met a couple weeks ago. Um, I shot an interview um, with him and, and Scott Drew, one of the best interviews I think I've ever shot. And uh, it's blossomed into a, a cool friendship. What's super cool about Byron is that he's super smart, uh, just excels in fields that, that I don't normally interact with and uh, have been learning a lot just about um, academia, research, and the importance of that. Um, being in the sports world my whole life, you just don't really see that side as much, and you don't see the value as much. But I'm really coming to learn the value, and we got to talking about um, what he does, his research, and it made so much sense with what I am trying to discover about fatherhood about the role of fathers and how that affects men and the trajectory of their life so um i'll just let you introduce yourself just a little bit about who you are and sure. um and what you've been doing your whole life thanks silas it's good to be with you um yeah byron johnson i direct the institute for studies of religion at baylor uh, i was recruited here in 2004 to launch it so i'm the founding director and i've been here now actually 18 years almost to the day um, and um, it's a kind of a think tank on religion so a lot of scholars but most of us from different fields the one commonality is that we all are interested in, in the role of religion uh, the, re the role of religion in health um, the role of religion in reducing crime and delinquency the role of religion in politics etc so the one thing that brings us together is the study of religion. And we, we typically do that from a scientific empirical uh, point of view. Some of our scholars are historians, psychologists, economists. So religion is relevant in all of these fields, but it's, it's really understudied. Mm. And it's, it sounds weird to hear that, but of all the topics out there, religion is one of the most neglected. Um, it's something that's so pervasive, but yet we don't have the kind of research that we really need on religion. And so it's an oversight, and uh, our center at Baylor is trying to um, correct that shortcoming. What would be an example of something that is like really researched? Well, uh, the economy. Um, people are very interested in economic indicators for what helps a country to do well gross national product how do you grow an economy right so um you know economics is something that is is profoundly important and we have all kinds of people that study economics but that's a great example because very few economists ever think of studying religion yeah even though religion has huge economic impact on yeah. society so yeah it's just this blind spot that we have that we overlook the study of religion um, even though we see it all around us. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we want to do research that helps to show religion is important. That's why it's everywhere. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't neglect it. We should study it. What can we learn from it? And that's what we've been doing. And of course, um, it's been pretty amazing that religion has so much influence on people and societies. Yeah. This is going to be probably really impossible, but if possible, could you sum up? your research of what you study, what you've seen into something just really short. Yeah. Um, that faith makes a difference. Um, and it tends to be positive. 
uh, not in every case, uh, but it does overall tend to be positive, and sometimes it's shockingly positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're interested in what we call statistical significance. So let's just say you have this intervention here, and this intervention is designed to have a certain kind of an outcome. Oftentimes you'll study that intervention, whatever it is, and you'll find that it helps some people and doesn't help others. Overall, it's not significant. And, um, and so we're used to getting findings like that. So when you study religion, what are you gonna find? Does religion have an impact or not? And, and we find such significance in almost every area we look. So let's just say that you go to church regularly mm-hmm. and you participate in religious activities and you say that it's important in your life. Um, you have better health. You have better mental health. You have better physical health. Wow. You live longer than other people who don't have that same benefit. You tend wow. to be more generous. Um, you, you tend to uh, be outwardly looking versus inwardly looking. It helps fight depression. It helps fight anxiety. So these are areas that are important in our country. Suicide. Um, People of faith, serious faith, are much less likely to even think about suicide, which we call suicidal ideation. And you go, well, what's the big deal? Suicide is a big deal. Yeah. And and becoming, unfortunately, a bigger deal every year. And um, so it's it's one of the top killers of teens in, in our country. So... If religion can protect us from things, and so you know, how could I summarize it? I'd summarize it this way. Religion protects people from all kinds of harmful outcomes, mm. um, but it also promotes what we call pro-social behavior. How, do I, how can I serve my neighbor? How can I love my neighbor? Yeah. Um, which is all scriptural. And so it promotes good behavior and prevents bad behavior and I think that's one of the things that you and I were talking about when we were talking about kids kids who come from you know single parent homes right Um, we don't like to use this word today but we have used this word for many years they're at risk Mm -hmm. and um, you know each day a new word comes out that you're not supposed to use anymore and so that's that's on the list you don't use at risk but but clearly kids that um, come from disadvantaged homes, they live in poverty, uh, or they may have only one parent. Um, this does put them at a disadvantage to other kids. We know this from tons of research. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what I'm hitting on right now. And like, it's cool. Like I was saying in the beginning, getting to talk to Byron who actually has researched this stuff his whole life and actually has gone and um, gotten the statistics. I've just experienced it. Like I've experienced um, life without a father, mm. and it has been the single most like impactful thing in my life. Yeah. And for me, like to come back and like to overcome all the things that I've come just like in my own transformation, my own how do I describe this? Basically, all the ways that I think I needed my dad to, to, to help develop me, I didn't develop. Yeah. And so I had to learn the hard way in a lot of those areas. And what I, I have learned and seen is that it was by the grace of God that I was able to be like actually transformed and matured rather than just like 
hitting those walls and then not actually like stopping to like be like what's going on here yeah. why am i this way why do i yep. keep doing these things yeah and after like sitting in it for so long i realized i was like man all of like these actions that i'm doing and these insecurities and these frustrations that i end up taking out on people mm-hmm. So much of it is a result of me just like wanting the love of a father and the the approval and affirmation of a father. And I was just like trying to get it in all these different ways by using people, by hurting people. And anybody, anytime anyone would, you know, point out something wrong in me, I just like couldn't accept it, things like that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just like, like what have you seen, I guess, um, in research and, and just in your life or even in your own experience mm-hmm. of, of the role of a father and how that impacts sure. young, young men specifically? Well, I think that there is no higher calling in life than to um, follow God and to be a good parent, to be a good spouse. I mean, if we could just get our families right, mm-hmm. um, society would be a much better place. Um, and, and so, you know, that's one of the things that the research consistently shows is that having a a two parent home is much better for you. However, um, we, we know from the data that there's some interesting things that happen out there. So we, we did one study looking at middle-class white kids from the suburb, comparing them to disadvantaged kids who grow up in housing projects. So these kids live in poverty. These kids live in the suburbs. These kids in poverty tend to be people of color. These kids in the suburbs tend to be white. They have two parents in the suburbs and in, the, in these poverty areas, they tend to have single parents or a parent that's incarcerated. If the kids in the projects regularly go to church and the kids in the suburbs do not who do you think is most likely to be experimenting with drugs and alcohol and getting into trouble it's the kids in the suburbs wow not the kids in the projects so one of the things that i think sometimes it's easy to fall into this trap so we know that most people that are in prison are poor not all There are some white collar crimes that people commit, but most people tend to be poor. So people draw the conclusion that poor people are criminals. Mm. Most poor people are law abiding. Mm. The vast majority of most people that are in poverty are law abiding. Mm. So we kind of get the the data confused in our own mind. So what what I'm getting at is to say this, it's not a self fulfilling prophecy that you grow up with one parent and that you grow up on the wrong side of the tracks and that you have all these marks against you, that you're going to be a troubled kid. If there is a connection to a faith community, it makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and this is why inner city churches in our most um, impoverished neighborhoods in our urban centers are so critical to our country um, because the church becomes um, a part of their family and a network of support for these kids 
So letting them grow up in the church does make a difference. It absolutely makes a very powerful difference in their lives. And we've, we've done one study here that I, I brought that shows if you follow kids in Chicago, Philadelphia, and Boston, which we did over time, thousands of kids wow. that were raised in housing projects, the difference between the kids who get out of the projects and make it they get through school and they get jobs and they're not in trouble. What's the difference? Those that go to church versus those that don't go to church. Wow. So that, that's the ticket. And I think in your own life, this is an example that the church and then your own relationship with yeah. God, the Father, yeah. the Father of fathers. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is the critical piece. Would it be great if you had been raised with a nurturing father? Of course. Yeah. But god has been able in many ways to remedy that situation yes. for you yes and and so the data support it and i think there's there's good news here yeah we should be of good cheer and it should be a rallying cry to the church you're doing good but you can do better yeah yeah no that's that's exactly what i'm looking for it's like they're basically what you said to me just proved like that's how i was able to when I was like my mom my dad was gone when I was two I think and he just kind of kind of would just show up randomly but never really had a relationship with him my mom had me in church since I remember and like even though I didn't follow everything perfectly in fact I had to make a lot of the I tested I was mm -hmm. a rebel I had to test mm -hmm. everything and make make sure it was like actually made sense i didn't want to do something if it didn't really make sense i wanted to try out the world i did at times but it was just like being in there i like from a very young age like i i had this idea this this concept that god the father right that's like when i thought about father i only really thought about god i didn't really think about my mm -hmm. dad because i didn't really ever see him yep. you know and for me i've always related to god in in that sense and he has since like over over the course of my 28 years of life constantly like kind of like became that mm. for for the lack of that tangible sure. father and like the reason i want to do this podcast the reason why i want to keep talking about it is because i know there's so many young men out there who didn't have a dad yeah. or had a poor dad yeah like who are just who made bad, poor choices yeah. and and like i'm i'm trying to like just share these messages like that God can, can be that for you. And so get jumping into that faith based community and learning about God can, can fill the gap that we've always been longing for. Yep. And so to hear you say like, how old are you? 66. So 66 doing all this research, basically pointing back to the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's just really reaffirming to me that no, this is real. This yeah. is actually, it's not just me here. Yeah, and I know there's so many people out there listening, even right now, who are just like, like probably haven't really even thought about how much that has affected them. Yeah, um, yeah. What speaking of well, effect, like, how, what do you go ahead? I was just going to say that um, I was raised in a two-parent home, loving home. Both my parents were uh, Christ followers, um, and I had a great relationship with my dad, um, right up until the point where he died. Um, so I, I can't even imagine a better situation. But the reality is, when you grow up, you leave home. Yeah. And um, 
you know, you're probably not going to be talking to your dad every day on the phone. Right. But you are going to have trials and tribulations, and you've got to have that relationship with God the Father, and He's He's there mm-hmm. at all times, in the middle of the night when you can't even pick up the phone and call a parent. Let's yeah. just say. So you know, I I think that. Um, the relationship that we have with our dads is so important and so critical, but it, it's it's very small in relationship to what that relationship looks like with our Father, mm-hmm. our Heavenly, Heavenly Father. Father. Yeah, yeah. And so I think you know this is the beautiful thing that uh, godly parents are to direct us to God the Father, and um, and sometimes it happens where it's just one parent. And sometimes it happens in some families where both parents are incarcerated. And because I do so many studies of prisons, I see this all the time, where both parents are incarcerated and a grandmother yeah. is raising a child. And even there, it's not, a, it's not a situation where you write that kid off, the kid can make it. And I've had, I guess you could call it the pleasure, the honor, but I've interviewed fathers and sons and grandfathers all at the same time in prison. Wow. And so the grandson meets his grandfather for the first time in prison. Oh, my gosh. So th- these are some of the things that happen. It almost is a rite of passage for some of these folks to wind up in prison. But then to see that get healed, um, as people, and a lot of guys find God in prison in very, very powerful ways. And so I've done a lot of work there, too, interviewing thousands and thousands of offenders and it is really powerful to see an identity transformation take place even behind prison walls yeah and uh, so in our latest book the last chapter of the book called the restorative prison that came out in the fall we basically conclude if you look at some of these guys that are in prison whose lives have just been utterly transformed and we can prove it through data mm-hmm. they have much to teach us in the what we call the free world this is the free world where you and i live yeah and I think we can learn from people like that who have found God in this incredibly transformative way. And so there is the old identity, and then there's this new powerful identity in, in God that they have found. And so we write a lot about that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a message of hope. It, it's it's um, a message that God is a great God, and um, there isn't a, a situation that he cannot transform. Mm. What advice do you have for younger men specifically like me mm. and then so many out there who didn't have who don't have good fathers who haven't had mm-hmm. and then even even those who did have yeah. dads that's the, that's that thing that John Durham and I were talking about this a little bit basically it's just like I mean even those who had a dad like they still walk away from mm-hmm. that hurt with yeah. some with some resentment yeah. things that you know, my my dad all he ever cared about was work. You know, yep. things like that 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 will bleed into their future, right? Like, and affect their lives. So, yeah, what advice do you have for us? Well, um, for one, uh, I would say that um, don't take your relationship with the Lord um, in in a, a non-serious way. Uh, work on it every day, um, and then make sure you have a mentor in your life mm. and you're, you're never too old to have a mentor 
Um, yeah. And as much as possible, be it mentor someone. Um, I think that there's a tendency because of our sin nature to be narcissistic and the gospel works against narcissistic kinds of thinking. Mm -hmm. But we, we constantly battle with that. And if you're serving others, it takes your eyes off of yourself and, and puts them on other people. This is what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. He came to serve. And um, when we serve others, this is why if you look at alcoholics and addicts that we have studied through faith-based programs, how do they stay sober? It's not just that they have this remarkable conversion to Christianity. It's important, but they'll still re relapse. It's when they give their lives away to others that are struggling in addiction. Wow. So it's faith and service that helps me to be sober and stay sober. And, and so I think in our own lives, if someone's pouring into us and investing in us, and then we're doing that with other people, this, I think this is really an important thing. And, and I've had a number of critical mentors in my life at, at various points that have helped me. And, um, and so I, I think there's a tendency sometimes to isolate ourselves and um, we don't understand why we do that, but we, we do that. And, and so we do need to be vulnerable. We need to be accountable. Mm -hmm. And uh, accountability sometimes also runs against our own nature. Mm -hmm. So if I could give advice, I would say be accountable mm. um, and, and pour into others. And, you know, as a, as a father, um, my, my kids, uh, Jackie and I, my wife, we have three adult kids. We try to pour into our kids now as much as we ever did. Yeah. And even though they're adults and they have kids. And so being a parent never really ends. It just changes. Mm. And um, so, you know, for our kids and for their spouses, we want to play a, a key role in their lives. And we want to continue to model what, what an authentic Christian looks like. Have you been able to, I mean, you, your kids are all adults. Have you been able to really see, hmm, I guess when your kids moved out of the house, right? Were you able to like really like watch them from afar and, and see the way your parenting like really affected them in like either direction, positive or yeah. negative? No question. So our kids went to Baylor. And God in his providence allowed each of our three kids to move back home for a season. So either their senior year in college, something like that, for whatever reason, housing wasn't working out, they wanted to move back home. And it didn't happen at the same time. So um, we were able to have them back at home for one year. Um, you know, we, we saw them like any college kids make mistakes. And, um, but we were able to kind of all, our big thing was, can we keep our, the communication lines open with our kids? And, um, and we were able to do that. Every parent and child have relationship issues that will, will happen that you'll have to struggle with. Mm -hmm. But boy, I would just say, whatever you do, 
don't ever break communication because I see it all the time. Yeah. I this person says, I haven't talked to my dad in two years. Yeah. We, we had this argument. I'm not calling him. He's not calling me. And you're just thinking, this is tragic. They're both Christians. Yeah. And so we've always had that with our kids. And um, so, you know, we're so proud of them because they, they're all following God. And, um, you know, we want to we wanna encourage that as much as we can uh, realizing our role is different, their parents, yeah. you know, and so, um, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing. Uh, it it never ends, and and that this just is just a glimpse of God and His great love for us. Um, you know, He loves us like nothing else that we can understand or comprehend, and and so, um, you know, that's our great example. Yeah. Uh, we can never hit it, but we should try as best we can to love like God loves us. Yeah. So two two questions on that one. One, um, say you're, you're a young man listening to this and just no real relationship with dad or mom, really. And, like, there's a lot of things in life that... You don't like the way they're going. Um, what I have found is like, again, so much of what was stopping me from developing as a human was at the very end, forgiveness of my own mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. um, and now I think a lot of, a lot of men that I've encountered, they don't even know that that's what they need to do. Like they don't even know how much anger they have towards their father yep. and how much that's like holding them back. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's like not even a, uh, not even a direction, like where to go, what to yeah. do. Like, where do you even begin? You know, Silas, I think you've said something so important, the whole issue of forgiveness. So that's one of the things we study is forgiveness and people are angry. Pe yeah. People are bitter. Sometimes they didn't even, they don't know the extent to which they feel this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people are in despair. They've lost hope. Um, it, it creates this void inside of them. And we did a study two years ago in Richmond, Virginia, for the American Bible Society that they had used this program in other countries where there had been war and famine and, and genocide. And so when you have generations that have been killed, there's so much pain. So they grow up without parents. Mm -hmm. And they realize just going in cold with the gospel doesn't work. Right. What, what can you do? So they started telling stories. These are biblical stories as a way of, to, to begin to address the trauma that people have experienced over time. And then slowly but surely, it's revealed that these stories actually come from the Bible. Mm. And, and then they're introduced to Jesus as the possibility of being their savior. And, and so I think there's a sense in which people need to understand that they're loved. And sometimes um, it's difficult just because of all the pain. And, and so this is what's so wonderful about the love of God is that it can heal Mm -hmm. It can address trauma. So we found that um, people that went through this course, many of them had post-traumatic stress, 
yeah. being raised in abusive homes. Yeah. The, this pro- particular program reduced post-traumatic stress syndrome. So we, we were able to you know use instruments to see if they tested for PTSD before the study and then after the study. So it just is another indication that there's anger, there's bitterness, there's resentment out there. Mm-hmm. Nothing good comes from that. Right. And right. so this is, again, in our fallen world, why we need the, the light of the, of the gospel that can heal that. And so for people to be able to forgive is a huge step. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not something that just that comes naturally for us. It's a supernatural thing. Yeah. But it's yeah. also an unleashing. Once I met a lady... Um, she attended a church in Houston, and um, her daughter, at the age of 16, was shot, murdered, point blank, at, as a part of a holdup. Hmm. And she had a son and a husband. Her husband died shortly thereafter, and she was sitting in a pew, and her pastor was preaching a sermon one day, and he was talking about a prison program that he was volunteering for going into the prison and working with prisoners. So in Texas, we have over 100,000 prisoners, okay? And she says, I'd like to know if Ron Flowers is in your group of 15. So what are the odds? Yeah. He said, he's in my group. Oh my gosh. And she said, he murdered my daughter. And um, this is now 15 years later. And um, he said, you know, he's become a Christian. And she, he said, would you like to meet him? And she goes, I would. So they have this program called Sycamore Tree where offenders meet victims. Yeah. So they met. And when she walked in and saw him, she went up to him and she said, why did you, you shoot my daughter? And he goes, ma'am, I was strung out on drugs. I was a crazed you know, 16 year old kid. Hmm. And he said, I don't expect that you could ever forgive me for what I've done. And he had been in denial, even though he had accepted Jesus, he had been in denial that he did do it. Hmm. But he admitted it that day when he saw her. And then she said, I forgive you. Hmm. And it was just like when she heard it, she heard herself say it. She said, for the first time in 15 years, I had peace. Hmm. But it was that act, just saying it. Gosh. And so, make a long story short, he gets out of prison, and she kind of adopts him as a son. Wow. And then he gets married, and his wife becomes the daughter that she left behind. Wow. And um, so it's an incredible story of what is possible with God. Yeah. Um, how can forgiveness happen in any other way than something crazy like that story? Yeah. So how would you say, like, I mean, clearly forgiveness is a huge step for us in order to develop as human beings. Mm. How do you go about doing that when you have so much anger inside you? Yeah, you can't, you can't do it in and of yourself. You just can't. Um, you know, uh, th- this is why we need a Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Holy Spirit 
is able to help us do that. Yeah. Um, you know, he helps us do what we cannot do. You know, it's just like, this is why Jesus died for us. We couldn't die for ourselves. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, forgiveness short of God is it, it, at some level, you know, you can forgive people and I think you can be sincere. Um, but when it comes w with something that's kind of insignificant, um, but on, on these kind of weighty issues, um, you're going to need you're going to need some kind of supernatural help to be to be able to forgive somebody mm -hmm. uh, for something like that, and I think this is this this unfortunately happens in families that are broken. Yeah. And uh, but God can restore uh, those relationships, and and we don't just say this because we think it's true. We actually know it's true through data. Wow. Given all this data and research that you've done what would you say is like the one action that we can do young people can do like if if like i mean you got to start somewhere and like yep. all, with all this research all these years like all the studies you, it could get so overwhelming of like oh there's so many different things that i should do or could do and don't yep. do what's like a one thing you could even just start with there's one thing i'd say go to church Mm. and go regularly. Um, that's the game changer. I, you know, people look for something much more complicated. Mm. Um, but that one variable distinguishes so many things. Um, are, I hear people say, well, there are hypocrites in the church. Yeah. And I always say, well, come join us. We can always use one more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Facts. Uh, th the reality is it's a safe place. Um, there are people there that will encourage you and challenge you. Um, for me, when I go to church and I see people with disabilities or the elderly, they're there every Sunday. It has an effect on me. Mm. I, I'm thinking it's not easy for them to do this, and, yeah. and they're there. Right. So, and then just you know, being there for corporate worship, um, small groups are incredibly important and um, so and then you know Sunday school classes all, all of this together um, there are these networks of support so now scholars will even admit what I'm telling you that going to church is good for your health wow. physical and mental health it's good for both yeah it helps you cope yeah um, but they won't say it's a God thing mm-hmm they're going to say it's just the support you get mm -hmm. because other people that don't go to church don't get that same kind of support. But I would say that there's an awful lot of prayer going on yeah. in those houses of worship. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that will say, is, is there a way I can be praying for you? Yeah. Does that matter? It, it does matter. Yeah. What would you say to those who are saying, well, like the people at the church hurt me? Mm. Yeah. Well, we're not perfect yeah and and so you can get hurt at church uh, this too is you know life's not easy yeah. i think a lot of people are looking for heaven here on earth yeah you know yeah um and so we're not going to get to when we get to heaven we'll probably be in a place where we're not going to get on each other's nerves and we're not going to be disappointed but you know here we will be and but you know this is another example of where we have to surrender 
you know yeah typically when people are hurt they begin to look inwardly again yeah what did you do to me you know yeah um and i think the gospel says it's not about you it's about everybody else yeah and so it's hard to imagine that there would be these continued uh, struggles if you're looking at others yeah. in acts of service. Yeah. So I, yes, there there are people that go to church and maybe their motivations aren't great, but there is there's not a better variable that we have right mm-hmm. now. So it's like yeah, it's the best. It's the best of the of. The, it's not perfect, but it's the best that we can do. Oh, is just having huge. that people. I mean, if there's just and think at the cost. What's the cost? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people pay all kinds of money for, let's say, a personal trainer yeah. or this or that, so they yeah. can get their lives, you know, com- yeah. completely holistic or whatever. Yeah. There's nothing that you can do that's better for you. Yeah. I mean, if you go to church and you're African American, and you go and you regularly participate, it adds 14 years to your life expectancy. Statistically. Statistically. Gosh. So if you're white, sorry, folks, seven, seven years. Uh, and, and so how is that possible? Well, it's possible because a lot of the teachings in the Bible actually give you ideas about health yeah. and, and diet and yeah. things that might be good for you. Yeah. But it's also true that if you're, if you're in an accountable relationship with others that you go to church with, um, and that they're going to help you when you struggle, yeah. that you're going to do better than other yeah. people. And so this is, this is what we find. So it's the, it's the most modest intervention at no cost yeah. that really does help people in enormous ways. If we didn't have the church, our country you know, would be a war zone. Mm. That's the reality. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I just think so much, too, about my own life like I don't have the research like you do but I have my own experience which is what I found tends to be more motivating for me is just like my own experience sure. and even reading about it sure but like what I found more than anything is like look no no one is going to force me to be a more developed person or transformed person like if I want to be I got to like make the choice and what I found is that like if I want to be more developed, I have to be more honest. If I be more, if I want to be more honest, I need people to help me be more honest because I'm afraid. Yeah. So I need to have courage to do the things I don't want to do. And and the only way I've been able to do that in any area of life is I've had somebody alongside me saying, you can do this. Yeah. Even like football, working out, yeah. like having someone there to say, you can do this. Now, in a physical sense of football or working out, you have someone right next to you selling, telling you, you can pick that weight up. And then in a spiritual sense, you have all this stuff underneath. If no one's next to me saying, Hey, I understand you can do this. Like, Hey, it's worth it. Keep coming back. Keep coming yeah. back. Like there's that stuff underneath that you, you want to, you can't get out. Well, yeah. you can do it. I can do it. Hey, you're having a hard time forgiving them because you have so much anger. You can do it. Let's do it. I'll pray for you. We'll do it together. You know, like, and then realizing that like, like you said, getting your eyes off of like, oh, how are other people hurting me? And just being like, how can I be that for someone else mm-hmm. helps you stay in it as well. Yeah. You know? And so, like I said, from my own experience, I've seen how getting around people and being honest and having them keep me accountable has helped me, especially those areas that are just so hard to push through, you yep. know? 
those secret things that you have hidden that you're terrified to share yeah that just eat you alive and i'm confident i don't know there's research behind this but i'm confident that if there's things inside you that are just like tearing you apart that's got to take off years of your life yeah i don't know oh sure this is this is why people live longer that have had these transformative experiences they're embedded in these churches that help them develop as a whole yeah. person yeah so i think that's what's wrong with the world you you may be you know this incredible physical specimen on the outside you may come from a wealthy family um so everything looks great yeah but the reality is a lot of these people have completely ignored the spiritual dimension of their life. Yeah. It's zero. There's nothing there. Yeah. And it has a consequence. Right. And so this is the beautiful thing about being a part of God's family is that it's not that the physical is important. It is important. But the spiritual is a huge part. And uh, and so the, it's hard to imagine going to church consistently and being involved in Bible study and small group and Sunday school and not being affected spiritually. Yeah. And, and so that, that's, that's really what's happened. And so, again, for kids that are raised without one parent or two parents, someone's got to get them into a church home mm. and let them be nurtured and developed. Yeah. And, and is there hope? You better believe there's hope. Yeah. You know. Praise God. That's... I love that. And I mean, that's my case. That's literally it's my story. That's my story. Your story is borne out yeah, in my, the data. Yeah, my story is literally the data that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you're what we call an anecdote. You're an example of what a lot of numbers say. Hmm. and But sometimes it helps people to see something visual. I'd like to see a person that captures what all the data is saying. Yeah. You're it. Yeah, absolutely. And like... Like, I kind of lived in denial of it for a long time, like, because I, cause I grew up going to church. Yeah. But I grew up in poverty. Like, yeah. we were on food stamps because yeah. my dad left. My mom, I didn't have a relationship with my mom. Yeah. And because of my dad leaving, I didn't have a relationship with my mom. So I didn't really have a relationship with either one. Yeah. And I remember, like, not that long ago, one of my best friends telling me, like, um, he was like, he was just like, you know that, like, by how you're, like, just the way your life was like you shouldn't be where you are. Yeah. You shouldn't have like been able to discover the things that you have and continue on. Yeah. And what we like, we talked for like a year about this specific thing and the result, the end of all of our like thinking and talking about it was I got there because of faith mm. in God. Yeah. That he like that. He loved me. Yeah. Despite all that, he loved me. Yeah. And like knowing that he loved me was like the one thing that kept me going, but I couldn't like have that. I wouldn't, I would not have made it if there wasn't other people also around me telling me yeah. that he loved me. Yep. That's it. You know, that's the church. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, um, I, I want to be mindful of your time. Um, but I'll open it up. Is there anything that you also want to encourage us younger people um, well, you know, with. I just, you know, it would be, it would be wonderful if anyone hearing this would say, you know, I too have had, um, a difficult upbringing, um, and be encouraged by, by your testimony. Um, and, and for others out there, you know, we're all, 
um, on a journey and the journey doesn't end. So I'm on a journey and I want God to kind of keep carving me up every day. There's plenty to work on. And I think that's what God's doing. He's carving us into, you know, his own likeness and that carving hurts (laughs) at times. Yeah. Um, because of, you know, sin and, um, but there, you know, for me, there's such good news out there to see what God is doing. And, um, you know, it's just so evident to me when you do start looking at the data. I mean, people talk about divorce. You know, it's a, you know, a lot of, you know, half the marriages end in divorce, not if you go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's some bad research out there that says you're just as likely to be divorced if you go to church. It's completely false. Um, wow. church, church is incredibly protective for marriages. Wow. Why? Because you're sitting under teaching yeah. that's, that's describing how we are to live. And if you just listen to that and listen to God in your life, um, it, your marriage will benefit from it. Hmm. And, and, and so that's what happens. That's why people in churches that you know, regularly participate are much less likely to experience these same kinds of problems. So for me, anytime we look at the data, the data are really, really helpful uh, in understanding what's really going on out there. And um, so it's exciting. um, It's encouraging. And so I I would say to people that are listening, be of good hope. Um, You know, even if you're going through a struggle right now, if you do have that relationship, um, you know, it's all going to work out in the end. Um, And so, um, yeah. I just leave people with that, you know, instead of the despair that so many face, we have this hope. There's hope. And we just need to remind ourselves. Yeah. Because the enemy wants to distract. Yeah. If you're already a believer, the enemy wants you just to distract you with everything out there. And there's plenty to be distracted about. Yeah. But we need to remember who we are. And, you know, that's what I've kind of heard from you. Remember who you are and that relationship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just keep replaying that. And then, you know, as John Durham preached not too long ago, you know, don't count your burdens, count your blessings. Yeah. Try that on. Yeah. But I think there's a sense in which the natural thing is to say, woe is me. Yeah. Instead of just trying to list those blessings. Yeah. And if you do, the list becomes so long, you can't believe it. Amen. That's so good, man. Church, get to church. Yeah, get in a community. Yep. You're welcome to join ours, Highland Baptist Church. Yep, come anywhere in Waco. <laughs> just, just get in community. Yep, praise God, Byron. Thank you so much.